You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. But let's dive straight into scripture. I've got a lot to cover this morning. We've got a lot of scripture to jump through. We're carrying on our month in Matthew, which you guys have been carrying on with? You guys have been reading alongside? Yep, I'm excited. So I'm going, you probably have already read this already. I'm going back in time to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read, read from verses 1 straight through to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, for it is written, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For it is written, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, For it is written, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for it is written, You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. What a piece of scripture that is. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way, if some of you aren't following along. What a piece of scripture that is. And we're going to dissect this. We're going to jump through verse by verse and have a little look to see how we can learn from this. I believe every bit of scripture we can learn from. So let's learn from this particular bit of scripture. So verses 1 to 2 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. Then Jesus. Then. Now I cannot start a preach off with the word then. It makes me want to jump back and have a look at what's just happened. And actually, the book of Matthew, there's a, there's a divide between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, when actually, in reality, there was no gap at all. Chapter 3 flows right into chapter 4. So what actually happened at the very end of Matthew chapter 3? And it was Jesus's baptism. We're talking about baptisms next week in Penrith. This was Jesus's baptism at the end of Matthew chapter 3. Jesus went from his baptism to temptation real quick. Jesus went from baptism to temptation real quick. Has anyone ever had an incredibly good day and then followed by an incredibly bad one? Has anyone ever had an incredible couple of hours at work or an incredible couple of hours um, with your friends and then you have a look at your phone and you see a text message and you're like, ah, man, now my move's gone from here to here. It's gone from being the best day ever to now the worst day ever. It's gone from being the best hour ever to be in the worst hour ever. I've had them moments, but not quite to this extreme. You see, Jesus is the king of extremes. And the contrast between Jesus's glory as baptism to then the challenge of being tempted by the devil is crazy. It's absolutely 
massive. You see, we had the cool waters of the Jordan River, and now we have the barren wilderness. You see, Jesus then had the huge crowds, to now he's in solitude and complete silence. You see, then in his baptism, he had the voice of the Father calling him his beloved son. Now he's got the hiss of Satan in his ears. Then anointed, now attacked. Then the water of baptism, now the fire of temptation. Then the heavens opened, now it looks as if hell is opening. You see, then the spirit rests like a dove during his baptism. Now the same spirit is driving him into the wilderness. And I've got an important footnote here. I've got stamped my foot on the floor. It's important. A big footnote here, okay? And it, it is this, okay? The Holy Spirit cannot tempt us. Let's get that out there straight away right now. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Father, they cannot tempt us. You see, the Holy Spirit may lead us into a place to get tempted, but the Holy Spirit does not physically tempt us ourselves. Don't just take my word for it. It says in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, and remember, Emma Moore, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Sorry, you're just in my eyeline. You're just in my eyeline. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So why does the Holy Spirit drive us into temptation? Why does the Holy Spirit sometimes lead us into temptation? And we'll cover that bit off later on. We'll come to that at the end. A little bit of a cliffhanger, so make sure you pay attention. And then the very end of that verse, a quick, a quick side note as well, the very end of verses one to two, it says, Jesus was hungry. Now, everyone give me a, well, duh. <laughs> that was okay. That was okay. Thank you. That's what I said when I read that. Jesus was hungry. I was like, well, duh. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You're going to be pretty hungry. I'll be pretty hungry after 14 minutes of, of fasting, let alone 40, 40 days. And it's actually quite an important point to mention, actually, because we get to understand the state that Jesus was actually in. You see, Jesus was hungry. Now, when you fast, you get to the point where you're not actually hungry anymore, and you get to the point where you're thinking, oh, I can actually carry on with this. You get past the point of being hungry. But then when you get past the point of being hungry and you actually start to get hungry again, it's actually a sign of your body starting to starve itself to death. So this is, this is the mindset Jesus is in. He went from his baptism to 40 days of fasting to now physically starving to death. And then the devil comes along. It's not particularly good. Not a particularly good couple of weeks, is it? Then the devil comes along. So let's have a look at three temptations, three points. Let's jump into it. So verses three to four says this. He says, during that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, for it is written, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we will face temptation in our lives. You notice how when Matthew says up here, there's no if about it. It's not if the devil comes. In some translations, it says when the devil comes. There's no ifs about this. Temptation is coming in our lives. We will get tempted in our earthly lives. Until Jesus comes back and we go to glory, temptation is a real thing. So if temptation is a part of our lives, whether we like it or not, then we better learn 
how to deal with temptation, right? We can't go into this fight completely blind. We must learn for how Jesus dealt with temptation so then we can learn with how to deal with our own temptations. So what is Jesus's temptation here? Jesus is tempted and commanded to turn these stones into bread. The temptation was to use God's gift for his own selfish purposes. Satan tried to get Jesus to use his own great power to provide from himself. And note how it wasn't, it wasn't for anything miraculous. It wasn't to turn these stones into a gorgeous, rare cooked fillet steak with a little drizzle of peppercorn sauce, some tender stem broccoli on the side with a little sprinkling of chili flakes, maybe some dauphinoise potatoes on there, maybe some onion rings for Ed on the side. You see, the temptation wasn't for great riches. The temptation was just for bread. It was just for bread. And anyone who knows the Bible, right away from Genesis, right away through Revelation, Jesus has been providing bread for people left, right, and center. So why can't Jesus provide bread for himself? And the key here is that it was under the promoting of Satan. It was the devil asking Jesus to provide the bread, not the father providing, asking Jesus to provide the bread. Now, my mate Spurgey, Charles Spurgeon, says this incredible... I don't think he's ever been referred to as Spurgey, is he? Is that not good? Is that good? Yeah. So my mate Charles Spurgeon, um, he says this incredible quote, which I want to dive into. He said, he, the devil, he bids the Lord to prove his sonship by catering for himself. And yet that would have been the surest way to prove that he was not the son of God. Do you understand? Satan is saying, since you are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread to prove you're the son of God? You've got the power to do that when actually, if the son of God was to listen to Satan, that's the first way to prove that he's not the son of God. And we can actually say the same as thing happened when Jesus was there hanging on the cross. You see, at the end of Matthew in chapter 27, 39 to 40, it says, then the people passing by shouted abuse shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. They yelled at Jesus. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, of course you can take yourself down off the cross and save yourself all this suffering. But actually the son of God wasn't his purpose wasn't to come and get himself down on the cross. It was to endure the cross. It was to die for our sins. It was to raise from the death and defeat sin forever. That was the Son of God. So actually coming down off the cross to prove he was the Son of God was actually the surest way to prove that he was not the Son of God. So Jesus' temptation here was to prove he was the Son of God by appealing to his flesh's needs. His flesh was hungry. The devil said, have some food. The flesh was hurting on the cross. The enemy said, why don't you come down off the cross? So what are you being tempted by? What is your flesh crying out for? What is appealing and tempting to your flesh? Is it money? Is it a career? Is it a relationship? having an intimate relationship? What is your flesh crying for? And how do we overcome this temptation? How does Jesus overcome this temptation when the enemy came? Now, Jesus says these three words. He says, it is written. 
it is written. Now, I'm going to say those three words a lot this morning. I would love for you guys to join in and help me say it whenever I get to the point where I say, it is written. You see, first point is that Jesus actually answered the enemy. He didn't just say silent in this moment. He actually answered. He actually quoted the word of God. He actually quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And Jesus shows us that every word that proceeds the mouth of God is more important than what his flesh desired. The word of God is his written, is more important than actual food in that moment. And let's not kid ourselves here. What the enemy says actually makes some sense, right? Why starve yourself to death? You're the son of God here. You haven't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. There's no one here. There's just me and you. There's just the enemy and Jesus. Why not have yourself some bread and then we can have a conversation when you make a little more sense? Who knows? Amy says that to me sometimes. She's like, why don't you eat first and then we can have a real conversation rather than being Hangry Dan. That's not my nickname, by the way. Let's not start that. Hangry Dan. Don't, don't know. Amy, don't start that. Um, <laughs> it's started now, isn't it? I've said it now. I hope this isn't recorded. Um, so, and also, let's not, let's not, Let's not think that Jesus was refusing supernatural help in this scenario, because he wasn't, because he actually accepts food later on from the angels. So it's not as if Jesus isn't accepting supernatural help and eating the bread. It's who he actually submits to. Is he submitting to the enemy and the enemy's timing and the enemy's will, or is he submitting to the Father's timing and the Father's will? So who are you submitted to? Who are you listening to? on a daily basis. When temptation comes to your flesh, are you listening to God or are you listening to your flesh? Are you listening to the enemy? Now, another point we can take from this is that Jesus actually fought this particular temptation as a man. He could have easily fought this battle like a god and just flicked Satan into a different dimension. He could have clicked his fingers and Satan would have been long gone and Jesus could have had a five-star luxury fillet steak. But no, Jesus actually resisted Satan like a man in a way that we can actually identify with, in a way that we can actually intimidate. You see, Jesus used scripture to battle Satan's temptations and we can do the same. You see, scripture's not unavailable to us. It's actually more available to you guys than it has been to any other human who's ever lived. It's in our pockets. It's on the internet. It's in the Bible. We can talk to friends. We can go to the library. It's everywhere. Scripture is absolutely everywhere. And how amazing is it that the only weapon Jesus used to defeat Satan in this example is available to all of us. It's available to every one of us. And that's the sword of the Spirit. You see, Jesus uses a weapon we can use. And we can even use his weapon when you're not at church. You can use this weapon when you're alone in your bedroom. You can use this weapon when you are got no one else around you. Scripture is so readily available to us. So Jesus' answer to the first temptation is, it is written. So what should our response be to temptation? It is written. Are we poorly armed in the fight against the devil. When the devil comes at us with his temptations, when the devil comes at us with his lies, are we shining God's truth back at his face? Are we reading the Bible? Are we ignorant to God's truth? And if we are, then how can we overcome the devil's lies? If we're ignorant to God's truth, how can we overcome the enemy's lies, the enemy's temptations? 
Point two, temptation two. Verses five to seven says this. The devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off, for it is written, he will order his angels to protect you and he will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, for it is written, you must not test the Lord your God. What's Jesus's temptation here? Temptation number two. Now, Jesus's temptation is to force the Father into a supernatural event. You see, Satan here appealed to everyone's desire to gain approval from God and for that approval to be publicly demonstrated. And let's note how Jesus has just had an incredible miracle 40 days before when he got baptized. But that must have felt like a long time ago after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. For it is written. Only this time, the enemy says it. Wow. You're telling me the devil can use this phrase as well? You better believe he can do. You better believe the the enemy knows the Bible probably better than what you do. He for sure knows the Bible better than me. He's memorized the Bible back to front. The enemy is an expert when it comes to the Bible. But he's also an expert in quoting the Bible out of context and away from his actual purpose. And he uses this method to take the Bible out of his purpose in order to confuse us, in order to tempt us, in order to believe that we're actually doing the right thing. You see, the enemy here, when he says, for it is written, he's quoting from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And from the outside, from the outside perspective, it looks like the enemy is actually talking some sense. And that's dangerous, right? The enemy uses scripture. Yes, he does. But the enemy completely takes it out of context and away from its purpose. And that is dangerous. That is so dangerous. From the outside, it looks good. But if you actually look closely, if you actually look at Psalm 91 yourselves, you can actually see that he took Psalm 91 and ripped it away from its context. You see, what the devil's saying is, is Psalm 91 verses 11, 12 says that basically do whatever you like and God will offer a safety net to protect you. And that's not what Psalm 91 is saying at all. If I decide to go and jump in front of a bus after the service, it doesn't, Psalm 91 doesn't say the angel's going to come down and sweep me away. There's going to be consequences to my actions. You see, rather, Psalm 91 says this. If you read the full chapter, it says, God promises his protection to those who make him the dwelling place, who call to him, and who holds fast to him in love. That's what Psalm 91 means if you actually read it in its context. And sadly, sadly, many people in this day and age are willing to believe anyone who quotes from the Bible. And that's myself as well. That's myself. And don't take what I'm saying with, with, as if it's the complete truth and the complete gospel. No, go away and read this passage for yourself. I'm sure you'll find many things which I said which are probably wrong. You can email Ed Wimbo if anything like that happens. People will believe anything as long as there's a few scriptures tagged on at the end. And people can assume and people can preach whatever they want. And people can say to you in the streets and people can say to you when you're going through a tough time, you need to do this, you need to do that. And if they quote a couple of verses, it sounds like they're making some sense. But it's so important, guys. If there's any take-home point from what I'm telling you today, it's these three things. And it's so important for us as Christians to know the Bible ourselves. It's to know the Bible personally. And it's to know the Bible intimately. And if we know these three things, and we can't be deceived by someone who quotes in the Bible inaccurately. We can't be 
We can't be fooled by someone who's, who's given you scripture completely out of context and away from its application because you'll know the Bible yourself. So if you only hear the Bible preached on a Sunday at church, or if you only hear scripture mentioned on a Wednesday in a life group, or if you only see scripture on the verse of the day on the Bible app, and although these are fantastic things, these are brilliant tools, these are incredible things that we get to, um, we get to sort of swallow on a weekly basis, but if you're only getting your scripture from those three things, then you're getting second-hand scripture. You're getting a second-hand revelation. You see, we need to be reading the Bible firsthand. We need to be getting a revelation ourselves. We need God to be speaking to us personally. And that's not just one way. God wants that for ourselves as well. We need to allow God to speak to us directly. For it is written. That's what the enemy says. So what does Jesus say in response to the enemy's scripture? Jesus says, for it is written. Only this time, Jesus says it with correct application. Jesus says it with a correct purpose. And Jesus knew straight away, because he knows his Bible, Jesus knew that actually tempting God is clearly forbidden in Scripture. Romans 8, Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, we should not be demanding God to prove that he loves us. You see, God's already sent his son to die on the cross. That is a miracle upon all miracles. No other miracle can ever top that or be more spectacular than that. If that's not proof that God loves you enough, then that's a you problem. You need to go away and sit in a room with yourself and God and allow that revelation, allow that truth, allow that miracle of the cross to really impact you and really lay on your heart. Point three, temptation three, the next couple of verses. Verses 8 to 10. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for it is written, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So what is Jesus being tempted to here? And this is actually the biggest temptation of them all. I feel like. Essentially, what the devil is offering Jesus here is actually what he came down to earth for originally. He's actually offering him all the kingdoms and the glory of this world. And Satan's actually offering all of this to Jesus without having to endure the cross, without having to endure the pain, without having to endure the loneliness, without having to humble himself to the point of dying a sinner's death on the cross. All he had to do was go on his knees and worship the enemy. Remember, there's no one there. There's only two of them there. All Jesus had to do was fall down and worship the enemy. And this must have been tempting. Jesus must have knew the pain he would go through on the cross and think, actually, I can get rid of all that and I can actually fulfill my purpose. All I had to do was worship the enemy. And this here actually gives us a rather revealing insight into Satan's heart, right? That the enemy would actually rather the worship and recognition from God rather than having possession of all the kingdoms and all of the glory on this earth. The enemy would rather just be known 
from God. And this is what Satan's been longing for ever since he fell from glory. And you guys are probably asking the same question that I asked myself when I studied this verse. And what do you mean that the enemy's got rule over this earth? What do you mean that the enemy's the enemy has authority on this earth? And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Satan, who is the ruler of this world. You see, evidently, Satan has authority over this world, or else his temptation would be pretty rubbish. It won't be very tempting if what the enemy was tempted him, he didn't actually have. And you see, God gave Adam and Eve stewardship over this earth in early Genesis, in Genesis chapter 1. And a couple of chapters later, Adam and Eve gave this stewardship over to the enemy. And that's how he has rule over this earth. But ultimately, before it's all doom and gloom in here this morning, ultimately, all things belong to God. We know that. But God allows Satan to function as a ruler of this earth for his purpose, for God's purpose. Of course, Jesus is ultimately still in control. We see that because Jesus commanded the devil to leave. He said, get out of here, Satan. And guess what happened? Satan got out of there. And then Jesus said these three words. He said, it is written. You see, in the same way, we can also resist the devil in the same way Jesus resisted the devil. You say, we can command the devil to flee. It worked for Jesus, and it will work for us too. James 4, 7 says this, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It worked for Jesus and it will work for us too. Now also we can learn from these three temptations here that it's not actually a sin to be tempted. Jesus was a sinless son of God and he got tempted. So we can understand that as long as temptation is resisted, it's not a sin. But the key word is as long as it is resisted. And what about me? What about my horrible temptations I get in my head? Even those are absolutely fine. Jesus was tempted to worship the devil. It doesn't get much more horrible and much more frightening than that. So as long as your temptations are being resisted, it's not a sin. You see, Jesus here recognized Satan's modes of attack, and that is lies and deception. And for those of us who actually live in the light of the cross, for those of us who actually know the truth of the cross, and deception is only real tool, because we know the truth which comes from the cross and that Jesus took away all the other power on the cross. So what is deception powerful at? What is deception extremely effective at? And that is leading us into sin. That is causing us to live lives of fear and unbelief and thus not allowing us to live in the fullness of God. That's what God intended for us to do. And Jesus here shows us the only actual response, the only actual fighting power of deception, and that is God's truth. You see, we must see temptation as what it is, and that's a lie. We must combat 
these temptations. We must combat these lives with the word of God, with the truth of God, with the Bible we have. And we must store this truth. We must store the word of God in our hearts, for it is written. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Amy. You can come to the stage. Band, you can, you can come up. Well done. That was like a prize then. So well done. You get, to, you get to come up here. You see, um, although this may sound encouraging, I can appreciate that the Bible is a, is a pretty big book, right? I'm not asking you guys to memorize every verse from Genesis through to Revelation. I'm not saying you need to know every single scripture inside this fabulous book. I'm not saying that when you're having a panic attack, you need to go, oh, let's pull out Philippians verse 6 verse. I'm not asking you to do that, okay? You see, when Jesus says, for it is written, every single time what the verses which follow, for it is written in this passage, come from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. They're the only two chapters he actually quotes from in the whole of Matthew chapter Four. And maybe, maybe it was because it was those very chapters that Jesus was meditating on in the days leading up to his temptation. Jesus fought Satan with fresh scripture in his heart. And we can do the same. We can do the same. One chapter a day will allow us to have fresh scripture in our hearts. And you'll be absolutely amazed. It's happened to me personally that the very passage of scripture you read at seven o'clock in the morning will come back and help you at seven o'clock in the evening when temptation comes. Or the very chapter you've been stuck in, that you've been studying week after week for a full month will actually help you when you go through your next crisis, when you go through the next storm. You see, this passage of scripture is so important for us and so important for us to learn to. You see, David, David Guzik actually, actually said this thought to me, and I thought it was something I want to share with you, and that is, in this moment, you've just got the enemy and you've just got Jesus. That's it. You've just got the enemy, you've just got Jesus. So Jesus must have gone out of his way. He must have gone out of his way to sit down with Matthew and the other gospel writers and says, hey, I've got an incredible story for you. You need to write this down. You need the people to learn from this. This passage of Scripture is so important because we get to learn how to overcome temptation ourselves. But more importantly than that, more importantly than that is we actually get to learn with how Jesus overcame temptation on our behalf. And we actually get to learn with how Jesus succeeded as the sinless son of God. And I've missed out a verse at the end of this passage. And it's important to note that God never forsakes those who endure through temptations. The angels came to minister to Jesus once he told the devil to flee. And God will always find a way to minister to us and meet our needs through temptation. And let's not forget this point, guys. Let's not forget this truth. And that is Jesus won. The devil left. Jesus won the devil left. So this leads me to one final question, and it's a question I started with at the beginning of this message, and that's why did Jesus get tempted? And it wasn't to help him grow like we can grow through our temptations. It was that so he could identify with us. It was so that he could demonstrate his own sinless, holy character. 
going to leave you with two scriptures. Leave us with two scriptures to ponder on. The first one is from the book of Hebrews. Verse 2, 17 to 18, it says this. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, in some translations it says, since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation, he is able to help us when we are being tempted. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus went through the ultimate temptation and remained sinless. Jesus resisted the devil. Jesus commanded the devil to flee. And Jesus then took his sinless, perfect, undeserving self to the cross where he became the ultimate sacrifice. And as Jesus hung there, as Jesus hung on the cross, seconds from death, experiencing pain I don't even want to think about, he muttered these words, it is finished. Then Jesus rose from the grave. Then Jesus came back to life. Then it was clear that Jesus had won. Temptations, lies, sin, the devil, the enemy left defeated. And this is our hope, church, when we feel low. This is our confidence when we feel weak. And this is our truth when we feel tempted. I'm going to ask the band to start playing louder. I'm going to ask you guys to actually stand. I'm going to read one more bit of scripture and we're going to go straight into worship this afternoon. And it's from the book of Hebrews again. Chapter 4 verses 15 to 16. It says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, where he, where we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, Jesus' victory on the cross allows us to have a relationship with God. So let us come boldly to the gracious throne of God this morning. listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.